Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time library book wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, dancer and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 97th episode. Hi, Julie. Hi, everyone. What's been happening? Um, well, it's school holidays, so absolutely oh, yeah. nothing. absolutely nothing it's um yeah no the start of the week I was kind of languishing a little bit kind of not knowing what to do it's it's um you know this time of year in Melbourne we sort of get two winter days one spring day Mm. maybe a summer day and then back to a few winter days so um yeah I've made I've made the decision that we have to get out every day of these yeah. holidays and even after holidays finish we just have to get out every day and do something and now we can go to the beach because it's within our zone within our 10 kilometer yeah. radius and then that will that hopefully will be going up um this week as well so we must get out um but i've also been working on um some writing which has been um yeah. fulfilling and interesting um publisher suggested to me to add a character to a manuscript that I sent her, um, which is a very interesting thing to do, actually. It's mm. been really eye-opening. And at first I was like, yes. And she suggested what the relationship was with the main character. And I just went, yeah, okay, I'm going to try this. And it's really interesting. Um, mm. It really opens up. having this sort of a character opens up the dialogue which opens up exposition and gives more opportunity for humor because it's a humorous book and so yeah I've been digging into that um just as a writing exercise it's really interesting actually so yeah because you've got to basically take every sentence and see whether or not that character is going to be inserted Yeah, every scene. Are they part of the scene? What? What? How do they affect the scene? And what's this character's narrative arc? You can't just add a character, just you know, for the sake of it, because then you could just take the character out and it wouldn't change the, the book. You have that character has to affect the main plot, but also has to have their own narrative arc. You know, so yeah, that's been a really interesting exercise. If you want to do something like that just to learn from it I mean you know first you've got to write a book that probably needs another character (laughs) but um that wasn't really yeah I've never added a character I've switched tenses I've gone from present to past and I thought that would nearly kill me but yeah. yeah it is it's an interesting exercise um and yeah I was sort of feeling a little I don't know a little you know, when you get sort of so bored that you just don't want to do anything. Yeah. And, and then this, this this sort of came up and then um, had some really great feedback from my editor about another manuscript. So that kind of made my week. That was the first week of um, the school holidays. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> unindusted. And it's birthday season in my house as well. So um, oh, yeah. we'll be 
celebrating birthdays this week, my um, joke, uh, Manga Boy's birthday, and, you know, we had the footy finals yesterday. So, yeah, yeah. things are picking up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what about you, Julie? How are you going? Um, well, we're currently in isolation because Boy Wizard's having some dental surgery on Monday. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, so we've technically been to surgery twice in a pandemic which is you know great but mm. this time we only had to isolate for three days because last time we had to isolate for six and that's when yeah. the sand tent was birthed so um and like they do the COVID testing so quickly now like I went and got it Friday and they're like oh as soon as you've had the test you've got to isolate and I got it Friday and we got the um result within 12 hours and I was like oh my goodness I could have gone Sunday <laughs> we wouldn't have had to yeah. isolate but you yeah. never know probably wouldn't have been it so quick on Sunday and then I would have had it cancelled so yeah yeah so we haven't been able to go to the beach which has been just tragic oh. because that's our, our big thing um but I've been having some fun with doing some Instagram reels with some new books so yeah yeah you haven't even seen them yet Pamela so yeah I've seen some. they're awesome yeah so the, I've done one for the two books that we are reviewing tonight as well so yeah, I haven't seen that one yet yeah. hopefully I managed to post them without deleting them like I accidentally did the other day and then had to re-film them. <laughs> so, oh, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I guess we better get into the books. What is the title of today's book, Pamela? Yeah. So today my book is Dragon Skin by Karen Foxley, published by Alan and Unwin on the 28th of September 2021, which is today. I'm going on. Tell us about it. Yeah. So Pip doesn't like going home. Ever since her mother's boyfriend, Matt, moved in, things have been different. Her mother isn't the same and Pip must make herself scarce. She and her mother live in fear of Matt. But Pip is missing Mika, the one person she could talk to. Then she finds a half-dead creature and takes it back home. It's a little dragon and suddenly Pip wants nothing more than to save the creature whom she calls Little Fella. She knows that Little Fella is important, but she doesn't know why. Little Fella is demanding and hard to keep secret from her mother and Matt, and she lets two kids from her class in on her secret, who prove to be helpful to Little Fella's recovery. Pip also knows that she and her mum will have to leave Matt soon, run away to Townsville and never look back, but first she needs to return Little Fella to wherever he comes from. With Mika's voice guiding her on, she finds the courage to help Little Fella and to encourage her mum to leave. Oh, it sounds so beautiful. Mm. Yeah. This is another one that's going to make me weep in enormous amounts of tears. And yeah, okay, pretty much. <laughs> and <did> Karen Foxley. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I, oh, you know, it's been a while since I read um, A Most Magical Girl and Ophelia and the Marvelous Boy. Um, I can't remember if I weeped because those are more fantasy. Yeah, no, I loved, yeah. I loved those. I mean, not yeah. that I won't love this, but um, I didn't yeah. cry in those is what I'm 
getting at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I did either. And I can't, I've still got Ophelia and Marvelous Boy, but I gave a most magical girl to somebody and never got it back. And I'm like, oh, really? Mm. Um, Shame. But yeah, different genre. And yeah, definitely this one's a bit more, a bit more of a tearjerker, not as much as Lenny's Book of Everything. So what was your overall enjoyment then? Yeah, well, as you know, Lenny's Book of Everything was my favourite book of 2019 um, and many people's. It won a string of awards and I'd already, you know, loved Karen's two books. So I was um, really excited about this one. Dragonskin was an absolutely beautiful, poignant follow-up. The writing reminds me um, a bit of Kate DiCamillo's. It's so lyrical and, you know, she's always very thought-provoking. Um, so while this novel had grief and domestic violence at its core, it was still beautiful and whimsical. Pip's your everyday sort of Australian schoolgirl in an awful situation who suddenly has to care for or, or wants to care for a sick baby dragon. Her friend Mika's story is woven through the book um, via flashbacks and his voice in Pip's head. And it's only at the end that you find out why he's no longer out around, why he lives in Pip's head. Um, and I think that was probably the main tearjerker part of the novel um yeah um and then Karen always adds some element that takes you beyond the story some little creative device and in this book we see snippets of Pip's view of what her mum is skimming through while she scrolls her phone the the searches that she might be doing the ads that much she might be seeing it was really powerful actually and really spoke to her mother's state of mind and Pip's understanding and opinion of it and then, then as a mother reading the book I kind of was like oh you know, I really kind of get her. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So um, a beautifully poignant, wonderfully crafted book and it, with a stunning hardcover oh, cover. Just absolutely beautiful. Um, so I think in terms of readership, I think it would suit ages 10 and up. Um, and, yeah, you can hear more about the book in the upcoming interview with Karen. And you can see that stunning cover on my Instagram reel. Yeah, <laughs> Which... absolutely. <laughs> And Karen does talk a little bit about the cover and how that came about. And, yeah, oh. it is just Oh, I'm looking forward to listening to that. And I have to yeah. say um, Giselle actually got the book and read it in one night. Mm. And it's a pretty nice size book and um, yeah. she couldn't put it down. And, yeah. I mean, I don't know how she does that. She just has laser focus, obviously, because I literally fall asleep in books. Yeah, chapter in, but um, yeah, it was it was pretty gripping. It's it's not a, even though it's a very, even though it seems like a very thick book, it's you know there's there are illustrations and there's quite a bit of spacing, so it's not a very very long book. Um, yeah, but it's gripping, so I can see why she got through it quite quickly. <laughs> oh, that that's good. Yeah. Oh, magical. Yeah, so um, what is the book that you're going to be doing today, Julie? Yep, so today I'm doing Seven Werewolf Way by Samantha Ellenbound, published by Affirm Press on September 28. Mm, happy publication day to both. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we've ever done two books on the same day, but anyway. No, no, I don't think we have. 97 yeah. episodes. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I was <laughs> one of pausing like oh wow (laughs) (laughs) and I know this is um Sam Ellenbaum's debut novel so um can you tell us about it yeah so Ferdinand fell out of the sky on the hottest day of the year 
while Celeste and Esmeralda Barden were on the front porch eating ice cream. Celeste is having the worst summer ever. Her parents are off on an adventure and she's stuck at Grand's house with her annoying little sister Esme and strict instructions to be responsible. Or, as Esme says, boring. So when their eccentric cousin Ferd crash lands a flying bus in the yard, what choice does Celeste have but to follow Ferd back home to Seven Wherewithal Way? Wherewithal, Ferd's house, and the gateway to the many realms unreachable from Earth is bursting with magic and mystery and otherworldly creatures. It's Celeste's favourite place in the world. But when something tries to break in through the portal in the pantry, the door to the mystical realm of forests, Celeste learns that both Wherewithal and her beloved cousin are under threat. If Celeste wants to save her cousin, their home, its inhabitants, and possibly even all of the realms, she is going to have to find her adventurous side fast. Wow, it sounds like real deep fantasy here. Yes. Yes. (laughs) What was your overall enjoyment? Well, I loved this, which is quite a thing for me to say. As you know, I struggle with anything greater than about 20,000 words, and this was formidably longer (laughs) than um, my attention span that is usually very limited, especially in lockdown. But I was just taken in by Ferd's arrival with their eccentric ways and junk food eating flying bus. Um, It has a bit of a magic school bus vibe to it, I guess, which took me to that sort of nostalgic place right away. And upon arriving at Wherewithal Way, we meet the motley crew of characters that find their home in this otherworldly portal. And uh, it was just... I don't know. I think I've said it, say it later. It's just like a warm hug. But, I mean, Mm. Celeste and Esme, the whist-away cousins, they were sort of the classic sisterly rivals, which um, I'm not. My sisters and I have never been rivals, so I kind of always find that really interesting. (laughs) Um, And Ferd's jolly demeanour is is obviously a really well-built facade to keep the girls from realising like they were pretty much in mortal peril, which mm. I also enjoyed, I, you know, that sort of lackadaisical attitude. Yeah. And there were just so many uniquely realmly beings in this book, each with a different sort of backstory that enriched the tale. I just couldn't, I just kept getting caught up in each of the new characters that they encountered, which I think is the point, isn't it? So... And I really enjoyed Ferd's Apprentice Logan, which gave us a bit of an insight into the history of the realms. Um, And their forgetful cousin was just so often disappearing, just as Celeste and Esme encountered yet another peril, which is, you know, that sort of typical, oh, my goodness, where is Ferd? Um, But we just got to see this lovely sort of bond growing between Logan and the girls and and their resilience as they sort of battled the fray. And I think the entire entire book sort of, it centres around the search for the Leshy, and I'm probably saying that wrong, it might be Leshy, a tree-like being on the run from a really formidable foe. 
And I will, of course, not give away how it concludes or reveal the identity of the foe. But what Mm -hmm. I can say is the ending had me wiping away the ugly tears and rejoicing at the same time. And I can honestly say I cannot wait to return to Wherewithal for the next installment. So well done, Samantha Ellen, on your enchanting I don't know if it's her debut, actually. She has another book out, but I'm not sure we'd call it Middle Grade. So I'm going to keep saying it's a debut um, because it was brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't give it away because I have started it and I'm not very far into it yet. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I I felt like Ferd, the character of Ferd, actually really reminded me of um, the character of Jupiter North in the Nevermore books. Oh, that interesting free easygoing male uncle sort of type character yeah, I, I know it's um they them pronouns in the book um but yeah that that sort of character that sort of um in yeah. the archetypes there's a it's oh, I don't I can't remember what it is now um it's, yeah. Anyway, there's there's an archetype that covers that character, and it's like anyway. Yeah. It's getting too late at night for me to actually. The bumbling professor, kind of. <laughs> yes, sort of yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but lots of fun. Definitely a fun opening. I'll, I'll yeah. Have to get into yeah. Well, I'm sure it's one of many on your pile. So. Many, 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 many. <laughs> I, I don't know. It seems like um, it's getting to that time of year again, you know, where there's suddenly a lot, a lot of books coming out. Or, yeah, you know, it feels like spring is is book season. Mm. Um, I just had a huge pile thanks to you and on my doorstep, <laughs> and I had a birthday and got some vouchers. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I do have a big pile at the moment, which is really nice. Oh, well, I think that's it for our reviews. But we do have two fantastic interviews coming right up with Karen and Sam. They both stopped by. And don't forget to look out for my Instagram reels and give us a like so we can get those covers trending. I want to I want to go viral on Instagram, people. <laughs> and to add one more thing, which we haven't actually talked about yet, is that we um, have decided to become Booktopia affiliates. We love Booktopia um, uh, as an Australian bookshop and we just wanted to support them. So if you click on um, the links in our Instagram or on our website to the books, um, they are our affiliate links. So please buy through there and that will help us put a little money towards um, growing the podcast and doing what we do best. Yeah. Well, we'll see you again soon, folks. Till next time. Karen Foxley's young adult novels, The Anatomy of Wings and The Midnight Dress, have been published internationally to much acclaim. Her books for younger readers include the much-loved classic Ophelia and the Marvelous Boy, as well as A Most Magical Girl and the multi-award-winning Lenny's Book of Everything. Karen is here with me today to chat with about her new release middle-grade novel, Dragon Skin. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. It's great to have you on. Hey, lovely to be here. So let's begin with Dragon Skin. Can you tell us how this book came to be? I can. It was um, 
a bit of a roundabout journey. It started off as a short story. Uh, I was thinking a lot about the place where I grew up, which is Mount Isa. So just lots of thoughts about place to start off with. And then also thoughts about magic, because I, I just like to think about magic. So sort of wondering how I could combine both those things. And I just had an image in my head of a girl sitting at dusk uh, in a dry creek bed at a small, you know, water hole, leftover water hole. And, yeah, the story just started from there. I knew that she would find something sort of remarkable there. Um, but it was a short story to start off with. And uh, soon... You know, I completed short story actually, but I knew that, you know, even by the time I finished the short story that it was going to be bigger, that there was more that I had to find out about this girl. It's really interesting. I love the way that that, that, that can just pull you in, in further and further. Um, and dragons are a very, are a common element of middle grade books, but you've included a dragon in Dragon Skin um, in a very novel way and little fella little dragon sort of acts as the magical magical conduit the only source of magic in the book how did this idea of, of this dragon of a little fella um, evolve uh, well he just from that very beginning it was you know a, a dragon that was injured and a dragon that needed to be saved or rescued or kind of looking at on the brink of death brought back to life um, even in that first draft of that first short story. And I kind of just really loved that idea of, you know, a dragon, dragons, we usually think of them as, you know, very strong, very powerful, um, you know, sometimes terrifying. Whereas little fella is, is a little creature that, that sort of needs to be rescued and saved and Pip's the one that's going to do that. So it kind of turns, you know, on, on its head that idea of, you know, a girl needing to be saved from a dragon. Mm. It's Pip who has to save this little creature. And, you know, from the beginning, I absolutely and completely believed in Little Fella, which is really important for me when I'm writing about magic because I think... If you don't believe in it yourself, it kind of shows, that's my opinion anyway, it kind of shows in the writing. So I just, you know, I was on the edge of my seat writing, thinking how's Pip going to save this little creature? Um, so it's tremendously, you know, kind of fun to write, but also, um, I don't know, kind of nerve-wracking too because I never have a plan or, or a plot. So I was kind of there with her as she tried to, to save this creature. Mm, it's interesting you say that about, about the magic as well, because it's, it's sort of hard to, it's, it's very resolved magic that you have there. It's kind of hard to know where the edges of that world are, what the rules of your mm. world are. So do you sort of, does that sort of come to you as you go along or do you sort of think about that for a while beforehand? Um, it's it's kind of very different magic to any magic I've written because, like you said, that little fella's the only kind of magical thing in that book. Um, so you don't really ever know where 
little fellas come from, um, we kind of know that he goes back. Uh, so as far as building a world of magic, I didn't really do a lot of it. I almost found the magic of Little Fella and the magic of this book, which is kind of like magic realism, to be sort of almost more, I don't know why, sort of more spiritual than the magic of, say, a most magical girl, which is, you know, very... Um, I guess kind of high magic, very much a world that I've built about yeah. magic, if that makes sense. Yeah, sort of more a fantasy world. Yeah. yeah. We've dis we discussed a little bit on the podcast sort of the difference between a magical realism setting and a fantasy setting. Mm. And sometimes that, that, you know, that can be blurred as well. Yeah. And so as you mentioned, you have this amazing backdrop, the setting um, of Mount Isa, and um, the town that Pip lives in, and it's a mining town, and um, and you have the character of Mika, who's mm. someone that, that she knew and came to the town. Did you, like do you did you draw the setting from memory? Did you go there and research it? It's it's very it's, it's a very sort of strong part of the book. Um, yeah, uh, I think a lot of it. I did actually go there, um, but a lot of it was memory. Uh, and then when, when it was a short story, I was thinking that I would make sort of a book of short stories, fantasy, magic realism set in Mount Isa. So I actually had this amazing Australia Council grant, uh, which I used to go out there on a trip just to make sure that it was as I remembered it in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did actually go and, you know, just, I spent like a week there and climbed those hills again and walked in the old creek, you know, the dry river. Um, but I guess I just, it was a mishmash of memory. And I think a lot of, you know, and I think I write it at the end of the book in the acknowledgements, you know, because I apologise to people that, you know, from Mount Isa, because some of it is from my childhood, you know, the old drive-in, mm. for instance, which features that's no longer there. And we know the books in the quite, you know, not too distant past that, that, that it takes place. So it's kind of a mix, mm. a mix of memories of where I grew up. And, yeah. yeah, it did seem because um, Pip's mother is obviously on social media mm. and there are other elements that feel like, they're further in the past. Yeah, definitely. It didn't, it didn't matter at all because none of those things were very important to the to the plot. But it sort of yeah, yeah, yeah had had this timelessness, which was really nice. Oh, that's good. Um, and it so the, so the book deals with the topics of domestic violence and grief um, in this town of Mount Mount Isa and in Pip's life, but it's in a very accessible way and as with Lenny's book of everything you've taken this difficult topic and distilled it beautifully for a middle grade audience how do you manage to do that how do you do it <laughs> well I think I don't really I really don't know I start off I thought I was going to be writing a magical story set where I grew up and I thought this will be simple <laughs> and you know like I'm always hopeful that I'll write something that simple and then um, of course, you know, straight away, I, I'm thinking, who is Pip? You know, she's got, you know, I knew the place, you know, her house, that there was a lot of fear in it. 
And then, of course, I have to start exploring all of that. And, you know, that, that went through many sort of changes. But I think from the very beginning, I, you know, once I, once I knew I was going to write about domestic violence or, you know, a house where there was a lot of fear, and, you know, toxic masculinity, I, I kind of, I knew that I wanted it to be both. I wanted it to be, it could be read as a simple story about saving a dragon uh, or, or it, but it could also contain all of those other themes. So I think I was pretty heavy handed in the beginning, which is, you know, that's the purpose of first drafts. You know, I think it was a lot darker. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a, a balancing act, I think, in many ways, you know, you just start again, start from the beginning and you go through it and you try and make it, um, you know, balance it so it, it's not because there's very deep, very deep sort of themes running throughout the book. Mm. I just definitely didn't want to overburden the reader and I didn't want to make it too dark. Mm. Um, but I wanted it to, I really did embrace those themes and I wanted them to be there and I wanted them to, you know, to be there so that we can have those those issues discussed yeah I think there's um you know as you said it's a balance it's a fine line but I think that young readers they can they take what they are sort of mature or developmentally yeah. able yeah. to do and then you know they might take something different on a on another yeah. later on so yeah I can imagine it's hard to get that right but I think you I think you have got it right and it's just enough that That's yeah yeah um and so similar to that, um, often writers for children are told to get the parents out of the way so that their child characters can have their adventure, which is why there's a lot of orphans in children's books. Mm. But you don't do that in Dragonskin and Lenny's book and even Ophelia and the Marvelous Boy. You have at least one fully developed parent character replete with flaws and insecurities. Do you, mm. think, about, do you think about that a lot before you begin? Do you sort of have these characters ready to go or do they just evolve the way that your main characters do? Uh, no, they just they just evolve, really. I would have to say, uh, and that's interesting. I've never really thought about that because the kids in all those books do sort of go off and have their own adventures. Although you know my books, mm. but there is yeah that very close relationship with a with a parent. I think. I mean, some characters come more readily formed than others. Uh, Pip, I would say, was pretty well formed, uh, whereas her mother probably changed really quite a few times um, over the course of, you know, many, many drafts. Uh, she was probably, I think, probably, uh, I, wouldn't, I don't know how to really describe her in the beginning, probably slightly weaker um, not as proactive, you know, as I made her in those those final drafts in in wanting to leave that situation. Mm. Yeah, and just just on that, I've actually I've been really fascinated with the editing process lately. Um, something Pamela Freeman said in a recent talk I attended really stuck with me, and that was the difference between an amateur and a professional writer is how many drafts you're willing to endure. Mm. Um, so tell me, tell me about your editing process. Once you finish the first draft, how many more drafts do you do 
before sending it to your publisher and then or or your um, agent and then how many more drafts are there generally after that? Um, I would have to say probably before I would show it to anyone would be like 10, 12 kind of drafts that I would go through. And then I have a really good agent, Catherine Drayton, and, and she's very good at kind of just, you know, I'd usually show it to her first and she's really good at sort of strengths, weaknesses. Uh, you know, sometimes I take a long, you know, I might take too long to get into a story. So she's really good at like pace and those kind of things. And, you know, some, I've usually got like so many characters to start off with and a few of those have to get whittled away. So she would be the first stop. Sometimes she says, you know, I could sell this. You know, we could take it tomorrow. So it depends how I'm feeling because sometimes I just I just like to keep <laughs> perfecting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then by the time it gets to a publisher and you do all your structural and, I mean, sometimes that can be three or four drafts in a structural just to get it right. So I guess you're up towards 20 by the time it's all finished. And I'm so sick of it by then. Yeah. So sick of it. <laughs> I just can't endure another read through of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And when it's, it's amazing when you do get to work with an editor. It feels like you're not on your own anymore. Yeah. I, I do actually quite like that. Yeah. And that was what I was going to ask you is that when you're doing that first 10 drafts, do you? Do you show it to anybody? Do you get kids? No. no. I'm super, super solitary. Yeah. <laughs> I just really, I'm very superstitious too. Like I feel like it will just all disintegrate if I show it to anyone. Yeah. So not that I have anything against, like I think some people that's how they thrive, you know, mm -hmm. they, when they show and they discuss, but I'm I kind of, it's kind of like this magical thing that I'm working on and it would just disappear in a puff of smoke if I actually showed it to someone. Yeah. But then usually I know, I know exactly the time. It, I just know it inside me that, okay, this I can show this to someone now. Yeah. And I can't really say what that is, but it's just sort of in here. Yeah. And do you, when, you, when you're writing those, those drafts, um, do you tend to write quite cleanly and edit as you go or do you just kind of get it out there and make it, you know, get that world sort of yeah. in place? No, just very messy, very, uh, very no editing. Just trying, especially those first couple of times, it's just I have to get it out. And often by the end of that draft, like I'm just, you know, oh, I don't even know what, I'm just drawing whatever I think might happen and just laying it on the page. Um, sometimes I'll write ahead, you know, to what I think might happen at the end, then I'll come back. So it's sort of all over the place. Yeah. Um, and then I quite like the bit where, where you've got the majority of it there after, you know, three or four goes, and then you can start to sort of put the jigsaw together. Yeah. I find that quite calming. That the, the first few where I don't really know what's happening. Yeah. Get quite anxious. Yeah. Seeing that that overall picture. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I always think every time in those first few drafts, I think if only I was a plotter. <laughs> I just over and over again, I just berate myself because I think that that would be so easy if I could think this story instead of only know how to think through writing, which yeah. is so yeah. always, yeah. It's weird. Everyone's different. I'm, I'm neither. I do a bit of both. I can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I need to write my way in, but then I can't get too far without going. Okay, what's, where's it going, and how's it going to end, and how am I going to yeah. get there? <laughs> and definitely, the more I write, then I can start to, you know, I'll start to do lots of little diagrams that I kind of have give me a sense that I know what it's going to be about. Yeah. Mm. And that's something, you know, after talking to so many authors, you know, we know now there's, there's just no one way. There's no, no. nobody, you know, everybody. And you learn to trust it more too. Like I don't get anywhere near as anxious as I used to get in those. Yeah. Just, you know, I just go, just keep writing. On the score. And so you've written for various different genres um, from picture books to YA um, and in fantasy, contemporary. Do you have a preferred genre or age range that you like to write for? Uh, definitely the middle grade, sort of 8 to 12, 8 to 14, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I still have YA novels kicking around in my head and I'd like to get to them, but I, I feel... Uh, that that sort of age group is my perfect place to write for. Yeah, such a great age. And it's, you know, some books are just so timeless. I mean, Lenny's Book of Everything, you know, it's, it's it, that is such a timeless book and it's still recommended. You know, I see it's still recommended on um, Facebook groups now, two years, is it two years later, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, you know. Three years, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, that, and that's with good reason because it was so fabulous. And did you have any idea of how successful Lenny's book of everything would be when you were writing it or when you finished it? No, <laughs> no, not really. I, I felt it felt special, like it was a special book to me, yeah. uh, just because of, I guess, the circumstances of right of you know around writing it. But I think. Uh, when the publishers were sort of having their bidding war over it, then I thought, oh, <laughs> minute. there's a few people that want this. So I yeah. kind of had not really had that before. Okay. Yeah. Wow, it's amazing. Mm. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, it's a lot of writers I know already and, and I, <laughs> I'm blubbed at the end, you know, and it's just, it's, it is very special and it, yeah, and I still, I think it just sort of, it hit a nerve with lots and lots of readers and, mm -hmm. and I really loved, and that was the other thing, from the beginning I would start to get messages from readers, which I had never, you know, I'd had, you know, messages and letters, but this was, you know, every day there would be another message from someone who'd read it, who just wanted to share kind of, you know, what it meant to them and it was just amazing, mm. just beautiful. And that's what little grade books can do, right? It can touch mm -hmm. so many ages, so many generations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is a question I've never asked before, but how do you nurture your creativity? That's a beautiful question. Uh, I think I, I, I have a very 
curious mind, I think, and I always like to to kind of keep that alive and always trying to find out new things and um, look, I love to read. So to just be open to the world, I think. Um, and I kind of treat it as a very kind of special part of myself, I think. You know, I think, you know, people that are creative, you know, and you'd know, like it, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's a, it's a real gift and I've had it since I was little and it felt very magical when I was small, that act of creating something out of nothing. So I just kind of, I don't ever want it to feel like a job. Like I always want to sit down and have it feel, and sometimes it does feel like a job, but I just want it to, like I don't ever want to forget that it's really special and amazing that we can do that, that we can make something out of nothing and create a whole world, you know, from, from nothing. Yeah. And, and make people feel something with that and see that in their heads. Like, I, I just think that's amazing. So I guess, you know, nurture it by remembering that. Um, I think sometimes it's really important for writers to uh, rest too. Like I'm starting to learn that about myself, you know, like I, I would write a book and then I would not celebrate it and move on to the next thing. And so I think as I've gotten older, just, just trying to, you know, kind of celebrate what I do once it's done. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do. I think you do need to sort of let ideas percolate a little bit as well and grow yeah. rather than rushing straight into them. Yeah, that's right. And giving them time. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and my final question, uh, what is one thing you hope readers will take from Dragon Skin? I, I hope that they'll take that it, you know that that they enjoy it more than anything that it that is a story that you want to turn the page and find out what happens to pip and little fella like that would be my main aim um, but i also love the idea that um children will read it or adults or you know whoever's going to read it and you know look at those themes of uh, you know, friendship, for instance, and how connection uh, is always there. Like there's always uh, help if you need it. Or the other thing is, you know, the message of sort of not giving up on hope uh, is a big one because Pip's in, you know, pretty, you know, bad sort of situation. Um and, you know, but she refuses to give up. She refuses to give up on little fella, refuses to give up on her mother. Mm -hmm. And so I guess, you know, that sort of message of resilience, never giving up on hope um, and just sort of reaching out because that's kind of what she does. Beautiful. Amazing. Definitely think your readers will take that from the book. Oh, good. 
So um, Dragon Skin is out today with all good bookshops. Where can our readers find you if they want to find out more online? Uh, they can visit my website at karenfoxley.com or I'm on Facebook, Karen Foxley Author, or Instagram as well. Amazing. Everywhere. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been great talking to you today. You too. Thank you. Sam Ellen has always been a reader and a writer, but it was the children's classics she read at uni that inspired her to create worlds as brilliant as those she read about. She has worked in education and as a children's bookseller and has both published and won prizes for her short stories. Sam Ellen grew up in Tasmania, but now lives in Melbourne. Her fantastical middle grade book, Seven Wherewithal Way, the first in a four book series, will be published on September 28 by Affirm Press. So welcome to Middle Grade Maven, Sam. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm very excited to be here and have a chat with you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you, um, having read your beautiful book. So Oh, I'm so pleased you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. That yes, very much. So tell us, Sam, where did you get your start in writing? Well, I, I wanted to be an author from a, like a very young age, like even in kindergarten, I was like, yeah, this, like, I'm going to write books. That's me. I'm done. There's no other option. Um, and I, I was probably the very obnoxious kid who would always, you know, submit things to the school newsletter and, you know, the school <laughs> the school yearbook and stuff and I'm sure like there were some awful poems there but um that weren't very good but they probably just got in because no one else was doing that just me um and that very much carried into like high school if I saw you know a writing competition come up I would enter it um and then in uni as well so I started, I did my um, bachelor in creative arts, majoring in literature and creative writing. And about yep. um, maybe the second year of that, um, and of course everyone was like, yes, I'm going to be the next Jack <laughs> Kerouac or Virginia Woolf or something. And cool. like very quietly, I, I was like, yes, I'm going to as well. But I was, I was never very vocal about it. I was like, I'm going to be the quiet achiever. Um, yeah. So about, um, you know, the second and third year of uni, I really went hard in uh, entering competitions and submitting to literary journals, attending workshops, attending any event that, you know, basically came into my stratosphere. And in that way, I ended up with, a, you know, a sort of, um, you know, a, a bunch of achievements and stuff that I put me in good stead when I then submitted my manuscript to a literary agent so I could say look I've got this and I've done that and I think you know for any young writers listening I think that's a very of course this was like 2009-2010 so the literary landscape has changed a little bit but I still think that's absolutely the, the kind of thing you should be doing if you do um, you know want to get a book published. Um, so, and then in the lead up to getting my first book published, I won a short story competition that was with uh, Perilous Adventures, which I don't think they exist anymore, but it was run by Inga Simpson, who's a literary uh, yeah. adult writer, beautiful writer. Um, and part of the prize was a mentorship. And so we worked on my first manuscript, which 
was a weird little manuscript. It was sort of, yeah, it was not something I'd ever planned to write. It just came out of an assignment at uni, actually, but I ended up loving the character and the story. And so that was What the Raven Saw, my first book. And I submitted that to Jacinta Damase, my literary agent, and thankfully she liked the... <laughs> that strange little novel as well and she agreed to um represent me and then of course yeah we then submitted to publishers so oh, wow. that was it that's how I shoved my foot in the door <laughs> yay and where did you get the inspiration for oh, I guess we should say what is what is seven wherewith away I mean we will have reviewed it I guess so just tell us where yeah. you get the inspiration <laughs> Okay, so I'll, I'll leave the synopsis and just jump yeah. right into the, okay, yeah. Yep. So my main um, inspiration for Seven Wear With All Way was um, my love of world folklore and my love of portal fantasies. So portal fantasies have always been my favourite kind of book to read um, uh, as a child and as an adult. So, you know, things like Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Alan Garner, um, Dinah Wynne Jones I love all that um, I just love the the idea and the possibility of an of another world being out there if only we're lucky enough to stumble across it um, I've always loved that and I've always had an interest in folklore for even as a very young child and that probably came from fairy tales and then fables and then fairy lore so the works of um you know, Brian Froud and Catherine Briggs, that kind of fairy lore. And I used to just would pour over, you know, Arthur Rackham and um, John Bauer uh, kind of books, just love the creatures and that kind of folklore stuff in. And I got obsessed with yokai, which is the Japanese yokai, which is actually what a lot of the Pokemon is um, based yep. on. Yep. And then recently um, I've just taken a huge interest in Slavic folklore, mainly Russian and Polish. Um, ah. So I always knew that I wanted to write an epic folklore-inspired portal fantasy series that combined um, all those things. And then I came up with the idea of a house being seven mm -hmm. where we're the way because as being like the, the gateway and the waypoint to all these other realms. Um, because I, I mean, I love haunted houses, magical houses. I love that. But I wanted to create a big, bustling, kind of warm place where creatures from all, from all different realms and all walks of life were welcomed and yep. um, would come together and create that real found family kind of environment. Um, I think that's, that's a really beautiful yep. idea and it's um, something that's very important to the main character of Celeste as well. So that was sort of the inspiration behind you know making a house like a magical house the the center point yes and you did that so well because I we've been obviously you're in lockdown as well but we've been in lockdown forever and um every day that I came back to sort of read the book it was kind of like a just a warm hug it was like oh Mm. back in wherewithal <laughs> it was just oh yeah. beautiful that's absolutely what I wanted um like yeah. I wish like I'll never stop looking for, <laughs> yeah. for a portal to wherewithal that was oh, really yeah. what I wanted that warmth and that family homey just you know vibe where everyone's accepted and everyone's welcome so that's yeah. really great that I came across and how long did the book take to write 
because it's it's quite epic and talk us through your drafting mm-hmm. process well I started probably properly writing it in 2017 um, before that as I said I've always wanted to write this kind of story so I had you know really scrappy random notes and ideas but in 2017 was when I started to take it seriously and I you know wrote chapter one and started the story from there and then I worked on it sporadically for maybe about two years in between other projects mm-hmm. and then in 2019 I was like all right it's time to get serious let's let's get this happening um and then at the start of last year I sent it to my agent so it was about four or five years and then who knows how many years before that just churning over ideas for it um yep And I always knew that I wanted Wherewithal to be a series, but I didn't plot or plan any of the other books. Um, I knew the trajectory of the series and I knew what I wanted to happen and where it would end up, but there was no, you know, really intricate outline for it. And I think that was partly because I had had some disappointment with a few Um, you know promising projects and manuscripts that you know kind of fell through and I didn't really want to do that to myself you know planning out an epic series and then it doesn't get picked up or nothing it would would, that would be devastating so I was like just write the first book have fun with it see where it takes you and and that's very much what I did and it the first draft which I'm sure my poor editor Meg will attest to was very much just a matter of what creature do I want to write about and then how can I build like a scenario around them so it was very episodic of like creature 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 yeah um which of course might like you know Meg help me fix up make that a bit more yeah yeah um but yeah but even then it was very much freestyle and it wasn't till I sort of got to the end of that first draft that I started to intricately plan out the chapters and because I knew I had to tie it all together Mm. Um, and then I did maybe two major self-edits before I then um, uh, very fearfully gave it to my agent and was like here it is (laughs) yeah don't hurt me (laughs) so yeah it was it was quite went on for a few years but at the same time I think it needed to yeah, I think you circulate a bit. I I actually totally understand that process because I I almost call myself a plotting pantser because I have to pants it for so long before I can even start plotting it, which makes no sense really. But and then I go back and really plot. So yeah, I totally get. Yeah, that. it is. A, it's like sort it's of nice. a, a mix between extremes. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah, when I do a first draft, it always just works for me to do a brain spew. I'm not sure if you're the same, so I don't. Yeah. It's just very much whatever's in my head will come out and I'll fix it up uh, later. But then, you know, it's, it's just suddenly like, oh, actually, I need this chapter to do this. So, yeah. And I think you mentioned that you've been sort of into Russian folklore and Slavic um, and you have some incredible names in this book, which I'm sure must have some funky origins. So how did you go about naming all your beings in Wherewithal? I really can't take the credit for it because 80 or 90% 
of those creatures in wherever they come from the folklore tradition. Mm -hmm. So they either come from, um, obviously, in the realm of forest, which is based on Slavic folklore. So they come from Slavic folklore, um, whether that's a race of creatures or the name of an individual creature, that it's all been inspired by the amazing source material. Um, I love that. Yeah, and I, I did want to do, I just, like because I love that folklore and I, um, you know, I, so I guess I hope that if people read that and they, re and they recognise names or whatever, they might be a bit more interested to go and read a bit more, um, you know, Slavic folklore or, um, yeah. and I just kind of wanted to honour that, you know, that folklore that I loved by, by keeping those names. Um, and obviously I've taken liberties with some of the nicknames that like Esme calls you know some of the creatures and stuff and yeah and yep. there are a few that I did make up for example there's a giant called um Hugen mm -hmm. and that was like a matter of you know Hugens from the realm of ice the realm of ice is inspired by Nordic folklore what's a good Nordic name that would suit his character oh Hugen yep. means like thoughtful great thinker that's what Hugen is in the book um so you know that kind of suits him and also he's a giant he's huge the name's Hugen it's you know yeah. that was kind of my you know process for the things that I did have to make up and um and all the human characters that's just how they yeah that's when I started writing the book that's what they were and I yeah when yeah. I thought about changing them after it didn't it just it didn't feel right and it didn't yeah. feel like them so we just I just kept the names and yeah it's like naming your firstborn child. You can't go back. <laughs> yeah. That name's well, out. It's out. <laughs> with, well, I guess I, because I was, oh, that's my chair. I was thinking about the name Esme, which, you know, that's a beautiful name, but it's probably not very modern. And um, certainly, you know, the book, of course, we go into these magical realms, but it's still sort of a contemporary setting. So I was like, should I make a name a bit more modern or whatever? But just when I tried, I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> She's Esme. Her name is yep. Esme, and that's, I couldn't change it. Oh, I love that. Oh, imagine if you get it translated into Slavic. That'll be so great. Oh, wouldn't that? Oh, oh. And all that, with reading it in their beautiful accents. Yeah. Because when I try and, you know, speak all these beautiful Russian and Polish names, it's, you know, it's either in my, you know, really bogan. Yeah. <laughs> like Australian. Or it sounds really weird that I suddenly have a Russian accent to say your name <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you've got so it would be able to hear it in the language that it's meant to be spoken in for sure yeah that'd be amazing you've got to roll those r's so <laughs> <laughs> oh I hope that um I'm not sure if you've got an audio book in the making but that'd be lovely to hear everything yeah in audio I'm obsessed with audio books at the moment so I'm like Every time okay. I read, I think, oh, hmm, I'd love to do audiobook narration. So I'm always like, oh, I could see myself reading this book. <laughs> like, you know, it would be so much fun. Living, it would, living it would the be, dream. Because you like telling a story. So, yeah. But yeah, when you have to think about all the, the different characters in your book, there's a lot. So you'd have to have a lot of, a lot of interaction. No, you need to have someone that's really good with accents. Yes. Or, you know, Perhaps not an amateur like me. <laughs> give you a demo <laughs> send me some read, read a chapter and send it to me I'll pass it on yeah. 
<laughs> friends and maybe not. you can just be the voice you can like maybe you can be the voice of bean or something <laughs> which character did you like you can do that it can be your cameo I'll get back I'll get back to you okay. <laughs> oh so tell us how the actual book came to be contracted because we sort of hear you know and then I gave it to my agent and then all of a sudden it's happening so was there a you know was there any tense moments or uh it was you know quite traditional in that um you know I did some revisions with my agent and then we sent it out to um, multiple publishers and I was terrified because like I like I've said this was like the series that I just it means more I guess it because I've always wanted to do it it means more to me than sort of anything I've written before so I was so like if it doesn't get picked up I'm just like I'm I, I would have been devastated um, of course that's I mean that's life that's you know I've had plenty of other rejections but I just yeah. it really would have been tough I think so I was yeah. petrified um, <laughs> but yeah so um Jacinta and Danielle sent it out um and of course you know it took a few months to hear anything as these things do and it ended up that Affirm Press were the publisher who were the most supportive and the most enthusiastic about the book and, and about my you know my I guess vision for the series and yeah. Um, the children's publisher Tash and of course my editor Meg were like huge just champions of it I was really lucky in that the manuscript um, you know came across an editor who like that's kind of what she was looking for and that's the kind of story that she loves to read so I was you know it was just a good match it was right place right time kind of thing yeah. Um, yeah. but I, but it was really important to me that the that the book did get picked up as the first in a series like I wanted this to be a series. I didn't yeah. want it just to be a standalone. Um, yep. So we pitched it and tried to and sold it as a series, which of course, I mean, that's a big ask because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a fickle industry. There are no guarantees. It was in the middle of COVID where everyone was, you know, I think the book industry in some places it came out quite well after COVID in some places it was devastating but at that time it was still like everyone was just like oh my god no one's going to buy books so yeah. there was a lot of uncertainty so you know to to get a contract for a four book series was amazing and and you know I was like Phew. yeah <laughs> I felt very lucky and I'm I'm just I'm so glad that Fem Press you know could see it as a series and um and agreed to sign it because that was yeah that's what I I wanted it to be a series and sometimes you just have to put it to the universe and say, this is what I will accept and this is what I won't. And, yeah, you don't know what's going to come. I agree, but it's very scary. It's very, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> so let's Didn't have a lot of sleep. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So let's get into editing. I mean, some people love editing and some people loathe it. Like how how did you find your edit? I think you were an editor as well. So how did you find yeah. this? So the editing uh, was epic. <laughs> By the end, I just never wanted to see those words again. Yes, I understand. <laughs> yep. It's like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and as you said, I am an editor. Like I'm trained as an editor. I've worked as an editor. So I completely understood and supported every editorial uh, decision and the whole process but you know of course from a writing angle that 
it doesn't mean that it still wasn't hard and yeah um and I think it was also hard because you know there's four books there's one coming out each year and so trying to edit it I was also, um, was also trying to write book two and I was just you know like these even though the edits are important probably more important than book two I was like oh my god like now I've pushed that back and I've pushed book two back another month like yeah. oh I have to write 90,000 words in two months oh my goodness um so yeah. you know there was that anxiety feeding it as well yeah um but yeah so it was pretty epic it started about maybe September last year and the first step we did was sort of create a field guide Mm -hmm. encyclopedia of the whole world of of wherewithal because as I said I hadn't really I'd only sort of written one book I hadn't made any other plans so I suddenly had to think about you know the whole this is four books not just one book I'm right I'm basically writing four books not just one and yeah. I had to then incorporate all, so that went on for a few months, back and forth with um, myself and my editor, Meg. And then we had to incorporate all that um, field guide world building into the first book and start planning the seeds for the future books, developing story threads. Um, mm. And then, so that was that. And then maybe that was the end of last year. And then I got... Um, the structural edit, which was uh, really full on again. And like, as I said, absolutely, totally necessary. But um, I actually had all of January off and I'm glad I did because Mm. it was a big job. Um, uh, And then after that, we had a big uh, copy edit. And I guess I've been a bit spoiled in that my copy edits for my previous books were you know, much more like grammar and that kind of stuff. But this copy edit was uh, a bit more structural as well. So it was kind of like a second (laughs) structural edit. This is where I was like, oh, my God, I hate this. Yeah. (laughs) Like Groundhog Day of my own writing. Um, But still absolutely necessary. And then, of course, we did, you know, the the simpler kind of copy edit. And then, of course, after that, there's a few little – you know, mm-hmm. you still have to dip in and just fix and tweak little things. Um, yeah. And that was all done probably about maybe June this year. And, um, yeah, I was like, off you go. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Yep. See you yeah, later. And only the first of your babies. So. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Rest, repeat three more times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And as I said, complete and the book and like Meg is brilliant. I'm just, I cannot stress how lucky I am to have an editor who's just like absolutely supports me and gets what I'm trying to do. But yeah. like, I feel sorry for her because she has to read it as many times yeah. as I do. And, mm-hmm. and Yeah. But it's yeah. all worth it because the book is 10 times better than it ever was when it first fell across her desk. So I'm yeah. extremely grateful for that. Yeah takes a team doesn't it yeah that is it absolutely yeah oh and so let's talk about the cover it is Mm -hmm. I've just got it today actually I mean the proof was exquisite but the um cover is doubly exquisite by Flavia Sorrentino I think yes Flavia Sorrentino says she is an Italian designer and illustrator And it is, I absolutely agree. It was beyond, like, not that I ever thought it would be bad, but it was beyond just everything I could possibly hope and wish for. Um, 
Yeah, yeah so, so how did it come about? Because I I always ask this because it uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to our show, but I basically judge a book by its cover, no matter what anyone says. So if and because I work in a library, I know the books that the kids aren't going to yeah. read, and then if I am to go and have a look and look at the checkouts, nobody's read that book because it's got a terrible cover. So. Oh, yeah, how interesting! A little insider yeah. perspective. Um, yes. <laughs> so we did actually have another illustrator lined up who was would have probably been equally as good. And so I, when that that kind of fell through, just um, like conflicts with scheduling and stuff like that. So I was yep. disappointed. And then um, Flavia got uh, you know suggested, and and I mean people have probably seen some of her books. She also does a lot of. Um, covers and illustrating for like um fairy tale editions so she you know um and her yeah. work is just beautiful um it just really suited to that whimsical fairy tale kind of style um so yeah so Meg said my editor Meg said you know this you know we think this will be good and I was like yeah okay yeah cool great um, and I did, I mean, mostly it was Meg, you know, like she would send off the brief and she's the one that talks to Flavia, but, you know, I was consulted at every stage, yeah. you know, yeah. about do I like the lettering, oh. um, are the, you know, do, are the characters okay, is this how they look? Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was like, I never felt like it was, I always felt like my opinion mattered. Um, That's great. But yeah, it was really, I mean, once again, thanks to Meg because it was yeah it was really I guess her her great briefing of what we wanted and then of course Flavia's beautiful beautiful um illustration um yeah yeah so everyone should check out she's got a website I think it might just be Flavia Sorrentino and go and have a look at her beautiful mm. work because it really is stunning yeah we will tag her also when we yeah cool post our episode so in the publishing process, if you could give your pre-published author self a little pep talk about something, what would it be? Um, this is a good question because I'm actually, uh, like, I'm actually really proud of how I approached getting a book published and, you know, I was very determined and very ambitious and ultimately that got me the result that I wanted you know I was in my very early 20s when I got my first book deal and of course I really wanted to be 16 and like a writing prodigy but you know we have yeah. to lose some dreams don't we <laughs> <laughs> um and you know I just and I don't think that I have that confidence now I actually think I'm a lot more self-doubting and anxious now so really like she needs to give <laughs> yep. young Sam Ellen needs to give me advice but um, really, I would just, you know, like say, good job, you're doing everything you need to, um, you know, keep it up. Like, yep. yeah, um, I, I think she did pretty well. <laughs> stay, stay the course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And yeah. what can we expect in the next instalment of your four book series? Now, you don't have to give anything away, just... Tell us how you're going. Well, um, I've written, so I've written the first uh, first draft of book two. It's 20,000 words too long, of course. Uh, so uh, I am, um, I'll be spending the next few months giving that the old trim, yep. um, which I knew that would happen. So, I, you know, that's, that's yeah. 
So that's okay. So in the next um, book, which will be out next year, so obviously the adventure continues. We'll get to visit the five um, other realms. So in the first book, we've we've gone into the realm of forest and had an adventure there. So in the next book, we will go into the realm of ice, which is inspired by Nordic folklore. Yep. And then we'll pay a little visit to the realm of jungle, which is inspired by South American folklore. So that is book mm-hmm. two. Uh, in book three, we will go to the realm of mountains, which is inspired by Japanese folklore. And then the realm of desert, which is inspired by African folklore. And then we'll end up in book four in the realm of fae, which is our folklore of the British Isles. Um, yep. So, yeah, they'll just be more of the same. There'll be lots of adventure and I guess, uh, you know, there's a thread running through the book. So there's kind of um, outside of, you know, Celeste and Esme's main adventure with Ferd, there's kind of like an uprising going on in all the realms against the Order, who is the governing body of all the realms, I guess you would call them. So that is um, something that uh, is going to keep creating a lot of back, ground noise and and really feed into the you know the main conclusion um yep. in the fourth book so so you must have, you must have done an incredible amount of pre like you know five years of research in the different realms in other words I mean they're going to be your realms but or is that something you need to do now like you know where you're going to go but now you have to go and research yeah, so like I'm pretty, like there are some world folklores that I, because as I said, I've had the interest in this since I was a kid. So, you know, I have a pretty good in my brain, like a, a, a good knowledge, a good history, you know, a good sort of sense of history and and everything. But of course, um, you know, there's always research and, and when yeah. you're working with folklore traditions and as well, um, uh, the, the kind of landscapes because all the landscapes are inspired as well um yeah. and you know I had some big overseas you know trips planned for this year and last year which of course didn't happen so I, it's like you know I, I miss out on that kind of first-hand experience of situating myself in a similar environment what these realms would be based on so yeah that of course um all you know that then has to all come back to like you know book research and internet research and and all that kind of thing. I mean, it's great research. The, the rabbit holes that you fall down are brilliant. Um, um, but yeah, like it's, you know, it's a sharp timeline we're working to. So it's, yeah, it's a fine line between, okay, I, I, that's enough. It's like right now, like stop reading and exploring yeah. and actually write. Um, Put the words down. Yep. Yep. But it, I mean, it's, yeah, they're great worlds to get lost into. Like it's, yeah, it's a good yeah. job. <laughs> Oh, well, it's great you sort of know where you're going, though. Like, yeah, amazing, really. (laughs) So tell us, what is one middle grade book every child should have the opportunity of reading? Such a hard question because I'm just the most indecisive. I hate picking favourites, but (laughs) I would probably have to just go with my favourite book of all time, which is the children's book, The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle, um, oh, yeah. which I just think is the most beautiful, magical, funny, clever, 
um, touching just children. It's one of those books that I read um, and was like, this is why I want to be a children's author. This is the, you know, the kind of book I want to write, which I think you can love it as a child because it's such an adventurous tale. But as you get older, you just pick out all the beautiful, um, you know, layers and meanings to it. Um, it's such a beautiful book. So I would say that. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I think I would go with that. Oh, well, we'll have to go and research it now because I don't think I've, I don't, I don't think, think it's it. like one of those classic, you know, it's not like a Peter Pan or a secret mm -hmm. um, garden, but I, I guess, you know, when it came out, it was, it's like from the sixties. So it was huge. Yep. Um, and, you know, it was because at uni, it was the most stunning children's library. And I just like, churn through that and and this was you know one of the ones I discovered from that oh, wow. um, but also Rowan of Rin because that was the book that I loved the most as a child uh -huh. um, Rowan of Rin series by Emily Rodder um, yep. yep that was life-changing for me when I was a kid and I I still think that children today will love it too because it's beautiful and timeless oh yes she's she's a gem yep well, what a delight it has been to have you on the show, Sam. And congratulations on your wonderful book. And it's out soon. So where can we find you online if our listeners are interested in checking out your book slash books? <laughs> so my website is um, www.samanthaellenbound.com. So there'll be lots of updates on there. There's a blog on there. Um, yep. But I'm, all, I'm on all the usual socials as well. Um, yep. It's just Sam Ellen B uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And then I have a Facebook page as well. Look, obviously a lot of the content is the same across all of those. But, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, but um, that's where I am. Spread myself um, across yeah. the internet. Wonderful. <laughs> Well, thanks again, Sam, and we can't wait for book two. Thank you so much, Julie. I've loved chatting with you. Your questions were great. Thanks for stopping by Middle Grade Mavens. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, stop by julieandgrassobooks.com. And to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net.